summer sun's calling my name I hear you now, I just can't stay inside all day I gotta get out, give me some George, you know why I'm playing this song? Um, because you just watched the Brady Bunch? No, no. I'm a big fan of the Brady Bunch, though. So you are, aren't you? Or no? Uh, Were you as a kid? No, I am. I'm a, I'm, oh, yeah. Are you yeah, kidding? Yeah. I watched it all, especially, you know, the uh, the two-parter from Hawaii. I always oh, remember yeah. that classic. one. What happened to Greg? Yeah. Classic yeah. with the tiki the tiki and the, the, the tarantula. Uh, yeah. The mystery, the mystery, uh, the, mis- the, the mystery caves. Yeah, the that. caves. And uh, there was a, uh, what's his face? Vincent Price was the bad guy in that one, right? That's he the, right. He held the That's kids right. captive. Yeah. Yeah. That was, a, that was a good episode. But the reason I'm playing is because I love the Brady Bunch and it also has to do with the 70s. And our guest today is just like a huge, like and him and I, like I felt like yeah. he and I grew up in the same household, but we didn't, even though he grew up in Long Island, I grew up in Rochester. It's just like we have this yeah. same, you know, common knowledge of, you know, the, the shows we watched as kids, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, and even music. But um, we'll get to that in a minute. But I got a big announcement that we're reopening uh, Comedy at the Carlson April 2nd. So we're... Uh, Fantastic. Isn't it great? I mean, it's been... Like Mark and I were talking yesterday that it's been officially... Uh, as of three days ago, it's been a full year since we've been uh, shut down. So it's going to be great to, you know, finally get back to doing that. Even I, though I love it, and you're and you're going to have Chris Allen right on stage that first weekend. Yeah, I Chris will Allen be there will be. Yeah, he's coming back because Chris is running. He, he's just going to run his album that he's recording um, the following weekend, at, and I forget where he's doing it, but um, he's going to be recording an album, so he's going to be running that material. So uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, granted, we can only do a hundred people right now. But, uh, you know, if we want to do 150, people have to show up with their, you know, their vaccination cards showing that they had vaccinations, but we're not going to make people do that. So we're just going to do 100 and uh, you know, make yeah. the best of Papers, it right now. Please. Huh? Yeah. Papers. Never mind. Sorry. Sorry. Papers. <laughs> Your papers, please. Papers. Uh, yeah. No, congratulations, my friend. I'm excited to be there. It's going to be a good time. Yeah, I'm glad you're coming. So uh, who do you got today? We are so fortunate, and I, like you, Todd, am very excited being a child of the 70s, 80s, 90s, <laughs> and beyond, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, we are very, very lucky to have writer, comedian, actor, and host of Cover to Cover with Chris Frangiola, the one and only Chris Frangiola. Yeah. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you for being thank here. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you, guys. A pleasure. And thank you, Todd, for starting off with the uh I believe uh, it, it, that is the moment when the Brady Bunch jumped the shark. Really? For yeah. me. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I know when they when they brought in the cousin later on, mm-hmm. that was even more of a shark jump. But when they started forming bands and getting hit songs, uh, I, I thought they had, had gone too far at really? that point. Okay. I was, I was fine with the fact that celebrities would drop by the house. I was fine <laughs> that Davy Jones came over yeah. and, uh, and that, uh, you know, out of nowhere, Don Drysdale oh, yeah. and Joe Namath would suddenly show up. No problem. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, and then <laughs> Oliver, that <laughs> Oliver. Yeah. That's Oliver. Name. That when cousin. It's in. like, he was yeah. like Nicholas on eight or actually Nicholas on eight is enough. Was like, Oliver. Right. that's right. hilarious. Yeah. Anytime you have to bring in 
the cutesy kid. That's pretty much the death nail of every sitcom. Uh, you, you could go down the list of the ones that had to bring in the cutesy kid. Sure. And then a two years later, it was over. Yeah. That, like when the, the actual cast is getting a little long in the tooth, they bring in a cutesy little kid. Right. Like they did it on different strokes. They brought in that Danny Cooksey. Remember him? The redheaded kid? Oh, yeah. They brought in Danny Cooksey. They did it on Family Ties. They brought in a, a little kid on Family Ties. All right. Oh, yeah. Or something. That's right. But uh, yeah, so many of the shows have done it. But for me, uh, I believe I, I was I was kind of, that, you know, you remember the Brady's were a little older then. They were. They were st- the, the kids were starting to get a little older that yeah. they were forming bands and stuff. Yeah. And they had, it had lost it a little for me at that point. So that when they did I mean, that they song. Done, they should have done a Jan teen pregnancy. Oh, George, how yeah, dare you? No, they, they could have done that. Yeah. <laughs> I recently saw that Eve Plum who played Jan. Yeah. You know, I guess when she was whatever, however, whatever age she was right after she finished Brady Bunch, she wound up buying a little house in Malibu uh, 30, 40 years ago, whatever. and just sold it for like $11 million. Ooh. So I think she's kind of did it, did okay for herself in the end. So good, good for, for her. her. Eve Plum. But you know, there's, I got a question though. The, so you say when they started doing the music and stuff like that was, that wasn't the silver platters that that episode. They weren't the silver platters. W- what about when Johnny Bravo, which was before this, did you think they jumped the shark with the Johnny Bravo bit when Greg was Johnny Bravo? I, for me, yes. Yeah. I, I enjoyed the series much much more when the kids were very very young, and mm-hmm. it was kind of like. I mean, I guess looking back on it now, it's a little edgy to do. First of all, dealing with divorce. Uh, wait, wait, was it divorce or were they widowed? Widowed. I think they were widowed, right? Yep. Both widowed. Yeah. But even that, even even like the remarrying of two families was a bit kind of edgy at, at that time. Uh, and I like that. I like dealing with the, the, the young kids and, uh, you know, a, a, a handsome young Robert Reed. Oh, yes. Florence. Yeah. And hot Florence. Well, she wasn't hot then. She got hotter as it went on. But It was all lost great, on Robert Reed anyway. I have a, a great Florence Henderson story. Oh. Uh, Years ago on Chelsea Lately, Florence Henderson, early on on, on the Chelsea Lately show, when we were, our guests were, you know, later on we became more successful. We had big time guests. But early on, we would take anybody as our guests. And uh, one of our early guests was Florence Henderson, just because, you know, what else? What, we couldn't get anybody else. And she was up for anything. She was up for the joke, what you name it. And the, uh, the bit, for whatever reason, I don't really know why, was I was supposed to have fucked her. Like, I was supposed to go into her green room to like read her pre-show notes and we hook up. That's yeah. the gag. And I, and she comes out wearing like my tie or something and goes, woo, what yeah. a, what a day. That was the bit. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> turns out she was fucking great. She was up for the joke. She was into it. Um, and to the point where like some of the guys on the show are like, I think you could really sleep with Florence Anderson right now. I feel like there's a definite chemistry between the two of you. And you could probably hook this up if you wanted to after, you know, you're done taping. So I just want to put that out there that I believe there was some chemistry between the two of us. Ah, look at you. Good for you. Great news. Yeah. I love it. All nice. right. Yeah. So there you, you could have saved that for the book, but you gave it to us. Yeah, That's kind of how I gave it to you. I, nice I gave nugget. it to curiously George. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, are we going to be able to promote this on your uh, cover to cover Facebook page, which is awesome? 
Absolutely, yeah. I'll really? throw it on there. Oh, Why not? You. See if those crazy, see if those crazy women will come over and give you guys a listen. They are something, George. I don't know if you follow his cover to cover Facebook page, but you should. Absolutely. Even though you're a gay man, you would enjoy it. It's uh, it's basically uh, women. I don't sure. know what thirty five plus in there. Uh, yeah, yeah. Some, uh, yeah, my 45 plus in some yeah, They like to come in there. They, they, they use the word fucker. They, you know, they, they, they let it fly. They're a lot of fun. And I go in there with my Photoshop work and they love it. Oh, they, they love that Photoshop. That is a matter of fact, I'm doing this new thing, this new app called stereo, whatever. And, uh, somebody, one of the questions I got on stereo this week was who does those Photoshop apps? Oh, really? Uh, those Photoshop pictures. Yeah. So. <laughs> and they ask great. about it. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. All right. Hey, I'm kind of uh, famous with that. I'll take it. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Congratulations, uh, uh, Todd, for Comedy on the Carlson opening up again. That is exciting news. I'm starting to see more and more clubs opening. And I have to say, I'll say this. I know for you guys, club owners, the hundred people is not great. No. But for most comedians I've talked to are out on the road right now. It this the intimate crowd is so much nicer. Yeah. It's been really nice. You don't really have to concern you. You know, you, a lot of times comedians will sweat selling tickets, you yeah. know, especially in large venues like yours. You know, like, oh, did I not sell out? Did I sell out? But that 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 pressure's kind of off. And, and for comedians, it's been kind of nice. Yeah. It, it's a nice sweet spot of uh, amount of people. I think it's it, it'll be perfect, you know, for doing shows. And, and Mark's going to be in touch with you, too. So, um, yeah, we're going to get yeah, you up here. It'd be great to have you back up here. And I'd love to see you. Love yeah. to see you live. But um, so. Chris, so with 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 things starting to reopen, we we've been starting the show lately with just by asking people like, what are you up like? What's happening right now in your life? What are you up to right now? And how are you keeping busy? And and how are you, you know, emerging after this last year? Well, I mean, I have been I have been doing shows here and there. There was some there was some places that I don't know if you remember. In, in the summer, we had a little bit of a lull in case and stuff. And some cities opened back up again for a minute. I think it was two weeks or whatever before things blew back up again. So in that two weeks, I had run out and done Oklahoma City and a couple of other places. Then they shut right back down again. So there's been – it's funny. I just did my taxes, and I had to go back through the year. And it was interesting to go back through the year and say, oh, that was that little blurb of, of openings again. And then it was nothing for yeah. months. And then it was on again. But, you know, the podcast has been keeping me busy, thank God. And I think the pandemic, maybe you guys can speak to this as well. And that actually helped my podcast. It really did. I think people were looking for something to do. And because you almost had like a, it was almost like a captive audience for you. So when you were out doing these shows in the early quarantine and stuff and, you know, getting these gigs, were you catching flack from anybody? Like even, you know, people on like social media or you know, other comics that you were out on the road doing shows? Yeah. I, I mean, I got a lot of flack and, and I don't know if you guys, I, honestly, I guess Rochester handled it kind of the same way we were in Los Angeles. You were, you guys were all pretty much shut down yes. and messed up and everything. Like that. You know, as you know, it's every city, it was changing from zip code to zip code. Some places were wide open. Some States I play are pretty red or blue or, or whatever. And, uh, but so, yeah, I was definitely, you know, you'd go, I'd play Arizona and then there'd, there'd be people unmasked wanting to take pictures after the show. And I was always like, no, I can't post this on because if people in LA, so I was, right. I was definitely taking some heat for it. So, but whatever, 
Yeah. It's all over yeah. now. Everybody's trying to get out there. And right. It was, I didn't do a ton of shows, but if the, if the places there was on, and honestly, not just not like I'm, I'm being some hero or something, but many of the clubs I played are friend. The, the, the guys who own them are friends of mine and I wanted to see them survive and they needed a comic to come do the club. And uh, so I was like, yeah, I'll come and, and make sure you guys stay afloat for another week at of least. Course. Yeah. That's like, no, that that's like, you know, patronizing your favorite restaurant. It's a great right. thing. It's a noble thing to do. And it brings customers in and any, every little bit helps. I mean, yeah. so many businesses, I mean, Chris in New York, you wouldn't recognize New York city right now. It's just a different, it's just a yeah. different place. Restaurants, retail clubs, all of it. Hopefully with, with this reopening now, we start to see some life back. Um, have you, have you booked some shows like in advance, like for the rest of the year on that anticipation? Yeah, yeah. The rest of the year is starting to fill up. It, um, That's great. Uh, which is good. It's, it's been, you know, and then summertime, I think, I don't know how summertime will be. Summertime's always a little iffy in clubs, but I think it'll be even a little more now because I think people are just dying to get out. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we'll see. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a, a fun time. I think there's going to be some, some, uh, like a bit of a roaring twenties aspect. I was this. just thinking that <laughs> you, you know got what? it. Yeah. yeah. You feel that. I feel like people are going to be wanting to come out and, and spend money and, and have a good time. So I, I hope, I hope that's, we think so too. So, yep. I agree. Yeah. So let, let's, um, let's go back. Let's go back to Ron Conkama. Ron Conkama. Let's get a little, yeah. Let's get a little background on you. Like the influences, yeah. um, you know, how, how you realize like this was, this was your career trajectory. I think it'd be fun to like talk about that a little bit and build up Tori or now yeah. we'll get into Chelsea lately and all the fun stuff too. But sure. I, I know our listeners would love to hear like, you know, it's, it's, I think a lot of people think like, Oh, I'm just going to go on stage or, Oh, I'm just going to be a comedian or I'm just going to go to LA and make it happen. And it's like, no, it takes a little bit more than that, but I'd love to start with some influence early influences for you and go from there. Yeah, well, I mean, comedy-wise, uh, just just uh, being from Long Island, I believe, and, and, and there's so many comedians from Long Island. You know, most of your biggest comedians working right now are from Long Island, whether it be Amy Schumer or Seinfeld or, or Kevin James, Billy Crystal. They're all from kind of this small area of Long Island. And I think it, it was just, you, you're, you have to be funny on Long Island. Just and I, I think it's the mixture of, of uh, on my block where I grew up in Ronkonkoma, you know, it was Jews, Italians, uh, Latinos. So and and all of that lent itself to to comedy, I think. And I think that's kind of why a lot of people from Long Island are funny. So I think I always was interested in comedy. I didn't know how you you got there or. Um, and then I think my earliest influences were I loved, loved, loved Late Night with David Letterman on yeah. NBC. I, that was for me where I first saw a guy. I'm like, oh, I that whatever that guy's doing, whatever his cadence is, and the way he does it, th- that's what I want to do. I want to be David Letterman. Um, and I, I mean, I, I watched it every night, every bit that he did. And I'm talking way back in the old Larry Bud Melman days, oh, and, you know, best. that early stuff. Yeah. And he was, jumping in a bowl of milk with velcro suit things like that i thought that show was so great yeah that that was i think that would be my earliest influence but i'm gonna also guess being a kid growing up in the you know new york area you're a howard stern fan oh i mean the old wr i listened to howard 
Howard to me was three o'clock at WNBC, three o'clock drive time. <laughs> That's uh, right. Yep. We would be listening on the way home from school, like high school on WNBC. And I remember like laughing out loud that, you know, Howard was totally different than he is these days. Yeah. Back then it was more about shock and, you know, all that. But for, for, you know, for eight, 16, whatever I was at the time, that stuff was so funny to me. I remember watching Andrew Dice Clay, speaking of like shock stuff on <laughs> one of my friends had a videotape of Dice and I, 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 it was a 15 minute bit or whatever on a Rodney Dangerfield special, you know, the best of special. And I was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. His TikTok hickory doc suck my dick that I thought that was like, this is hilarious. Yeah. So that's what I was like. I realized stand up like Letterman was my first one. Then I was like, oh, this yeah. guy's doing something different dice. And, and even I was never like a, a huge Cosby fan or even, Dare I say to Todd, who I know is a a, a big uh, fan of you know early early albums yeah. and stuff. I never loved Carlin. Mm -hmm. I never loved Osby. Interesting, really? Yeah, like for me, it was Eddie Murphy. Oh, I'm early, there with you. Long Island. Yep. Uh, when I first started hearing Eddie Murphy, I'm like, oh, that speaks to me more than than Carlin did. I almost would say Carlin was a little too smart for me. Mm -hmm. Like Eddie Murphy doing the ice cream, man, you know, going to the ice cream, man. I'm like, Oh, that I, that's what my life, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Carlin didn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Well, you know, Todd, Todd's, Todd's a big intellectual. He's always putting me down. Oh, so yeah. so I, I, hear you, smart. Chris, I hear you. I'm so smart, <laughs> but Chris, you know, yeah. I get, I get a huge stern feel when I listen to your cover to cover podcast. I've, I yes. can sense the, um, the influence, not that you're like, you know, doing anything for shock value, but the way you uh, will, uh, uh, on occasion berate Alex. I, I feel a little stern yeah. Baba yeah. Booey stuff right there. Um, there's yeah. a lot of your well, delivery is, on that. That is, yeah, that is actually completely just stolen from Howard Stern. Oh, okay. I, I, See, I, I, I noticed. So I picked up on it. So yeah. yeah, yeah, I love. I oh yeah, I mean Howard Stern to me. I, I remember Chris Rock was one of his guests one time, and and, and you know I, Rock loves Stern, and and he was saying that he believes that Howard Stern does, and I and I I stand by this too. He does every day. Back when he was working every day, uh, he does like four hours of of stand-up quality comedy i believe five days a week yep. at, at that time it was five days a week you know yep and uh and i i believe that to be true yeah i think it's i mean i think that's stand-up quality stuff at least three to five days a week yeah i totally agree no totally agree so when was your what what, what was the what was that what was your how did you get to your first show your first like breakout moment where it's like yeah. Not, not even breakout moment. Let's not start there. What was, how did you get to your first show? What was that like? How old were you? Like the, the stand up show? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was honestly, I did a place called, it's not no longer there. It was called Konkuma Comedy. It was in Ron Konkuma. They just opened a comedy club in like a little strip mall. And it was an exciting, it lasted, I think it was six months it was there. And I went down to Conkoma Comedy and signed up. And I had been going to comedy clubs a lot. We had some, we had a lot of good comedy clubs on Long Island, uh, East Side Comedy Club, and uh, you know, pretty famous comedy clubs. Uh, and I went to this Conkoma Comedy, signed up on some, you know, open mic night or whatever. I went up, and it it was I, I loved it. I I often say this, and I feel like an asshole for saying it, but I was always 
of course I was terrible, but I was always pretty good at it right off the bat. Like I kind of knew what I was doing. I'd studied, you know, I'd listened to records and mm-hmm. I knew what I was doing. So I, I mean, I, by, by the standards of being an open micer, I was better than most open micers. I, I, I my first shot. I've, I've gotten much better over the years, but. Oh, for sure. I was never, I was never absolutely awful at so, it, which a lot of times you see. Right. Do you think that comes with though? Did you, and, and again, I, I've been reading a lot more about this, how people, especially during the pandemic and being on calls and whatever, they assume it's not multiple personality, but they just assume another personality to kind of distance themselves from where they are and act about who they want to be. Do you think you kind of put your, your mind in that frame of mind? Like I deserve to be up here on stage. And I just like, what was your mental state that, because there's a reason why you were pretty good right off the bat. And I'm curious as to what state you put your mind in. Completely. That's exactly it. It it was, it was definitely a completely different person than I was so much so that I was almost embarrassed to have family and friends come because I was like, what you're going to see on stage is totally not the guy, you know, like I've created whatever, uh, you know, the stories in in some cases, the stories were fake, you know, my mom and dad did this, which they didn't, you know, but uh, so I didn't, I, I almost didn't want them to see it. I was like, no, nah, I don't, I don't it's, it's like a scripted thing that I'm doing and a character that I've created. So yeah, it was definitely, and I got or very early on, I got a great tip from a club owner. Uh, his name was Mark Alano. He actually owned the, he was a part owner of the improvs for many years with Bud Friedman. And he told me, you know, don't focus on material so much, focus on likability on stage more and the material will get there. But to be likable on stage is is a bigger hurdle than the material. Absolutely. And uh, and he was right. I, I see. I say it all the time to even now to my feature acts and people opening for me. I'm like, you have to be more likable on stage. I know it's it's more fun to do shock comedy yeah. or fuck you to the people in the audience, things like that. But if you're likable on stage, it's easier for you to get away with that type of stuff. Yeah. So Chris, no, totally agree. Go ahead. Go ahead, Todd. But going up on stage, you were like 18 or 19, right? When you first started? Yeah, I was probably 18. 18, 19. So I'm guessing because I know you, you had a background, you you were a theater kid in high school. That probably helped a ton with your stage presence, correct? Oh, completely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I was already, I want to say trained, but I was, you know, I was a theater kid. I knew I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't taken aback by audiences or, or lulls in the act or things like that. I was already, uh, adept to doing live performances. So, you know, and I knew uh, another thing, which I, I find shocking to me that some comedians just don't do especially a lot of the new ones, they're just not fans of comedy, which I think is odd to me. I'm like, you don't know Nate Bregasi or some of these new guys or some of the old guys or some of these guys who are great. Like I know everybody in this game. Mm -hmm. I, I, I I know the new guys. I know the old guys. I know everybody. I know their act. I know their cadence. I know the way. And that does help. It does. I agree. No, for sure. Yeah. Um, so then when was the move, when was the move to, to LA? And, and again, the, what would you like, what did you get your big break before you moved to LA? Did it happen in New York city or did you go to LA? And was that like that, that pivot, that, that tipping point? No, it was, I, everything for me happened in LA. I, I was okay. In New, in New, I was actually working as an electrician in New York city. I was construction. An electrician. No way. Yeah, That's awesome. I was a local, local three. World Trade I, Center. W, 
union electrician out of the business. Like I wasn't even in the business anymore. You know, I was doing stand up at night for fun in New York City. I would go do open mics. But I, at that point, I had given up on any type of, uh, you know, career in it. And then I kind of, but I always wanted to be an actor. That's what I, uh, that was my thing back then. I was like, I want to be, wow. no, honestly, I was so into like John Hughes movies and shit, like <laughs> Pretty in Pink and all, you know, the bre- Breakfast Club and that kind of stuff. Then I oh, just yeah. wanted to like Judd Nelson and Andrew McCarthy. I was like, oh, I got to be these guys. Like, whatever they're doing, I, I need to be Judd Nelson. And I don't know. I didn't know how to do it or whatever, anything. However, I remember I got an audition for a Broadway show called Bloxy Blues, a Neil Simon uh, show on Broadway. Totally. I remember that. And, and, and Matthew Broderick was the star of, of it at the time. Yes. And I, yeah. And I didn't know anything. Of, I thought you got the audition. It meant you got the part. <laughs> so, like, I had gotten a call to audition. And I was like, oh, I was telling my friends, like, I guess I'm moving to New York City. Like, it's, I'm at Iran Conklin, everybody. Bye-bye. And I went. I swear to God, there were 10,000 people there. The line was, you know, six New York City blocks long. I'm like, who are all these people? Like, they're auditioning for the same role you're in. I'm like, oh, I mean, it's such a, a, a rude awakening to, like, acting. And that's when I was like, oh, I don't think this acting scene's going to work. Because even when I, I came to L.A. for that reason, I'm like, I'll be an actor. And I would go into auditions. I'm like, there's 500 people here for the same role. And I'm no better than any of them. Mm-hmm. But in stand-up, at least I thought I was a little better than than most. Right. So then, so, so, so you're in LA and then you're going through, so you're, you're trying to do the acting thing, but then you obviously grew the, the comedy side more, right? That's where you kind of pivoted. Yeah. yeah that, that, I grew the comedy side more because it was just, you could do it, you know, and acting, you just have to sit around and wait for uh, whoever to call and going on a, on an audition. But in standup, I could, I could do three shows a night if I wanted to, they didn't, I could go up in a bar. And so I would, I would just do bar shows every night. And instead of waiting around, like many of my friends, I was back then I was waiting tables and bartending and stuff. So all my friends were actors, but none of them did anything. They were all just wait. They'd get an audition every three weeks. And I was like, um, but I was working every night. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm, I'm at a bar show here, bar show there. And so for that, you know, you start meeting other people and, uh, they, they have varying degrees of success and they take you along. That's, that's how it's always worked out for me. So we, we, uh, a couple weeks ago, we had your friend Mike Henry on and, uh, he got oh, talking yeah. about, yeah. you know, how he took the Judy Carter stand up comedy, um, workshop and I, I took it with Mike. I know he, he mentioned it yeah. and, um, yeah. well, he mentioned it to me off air because he knew that you yeah. and I were friends and, uh, my, you know, I, I think, you know, a lot of people say, oh, comedy class, you know, that's not cool. It's not cool. But in my estimation, I think comedy classes are important for not, they're not going to make you funny. You, you, that has to be you. But I think there's things and I I think you'll agree with me. It it teaches you, you know, maybe some joke structure, how to write. And you also it's networking. You get to know people. Would you agree? Exactly. Oh, and it also gave me it gave me a uh, ego boost. It really did. I remember going, you know, every I don't know if you ever took a class like that, like the Judy Carter one. But you would go up each night in front of the class. And you know, they, in our class, Mike Henry was one of them, and another mm-hmm. guy, Barry Stringfellow, who went on to write some pretty big movies. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I had some. It turned out some pretty. The, not one of the people in my class went on to do like I had a career in stand up. None of them. Uh, but 
I was I was always very good in that class, and they, you know, the 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 kids in the class would always be like, "Oh shit, you're you're good at this." Like we're just housewives trying to get out of the house, but you're actually good. And yeah. I was like, "Oh shit, maybe there is something to this." Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is way back. I was probably twenty years old when right. I did that Judy yeah. Carter class. But I met Mike, and Mike has become Mike's been a lifelong friend of mine from that from those from that class. Yeah. Oh no, super. I mean, he, he it was great to have him on the show, yeah, and great um, I, I think there's there's always value in classes, right? You're going to learn something, whether that's you learn something new about somebody in your class, or like you said, an ego boost, or you know, yeah. it, it, it kind of shapes you because it sounds to me like you could have probably been a great mentor had you been had you even started the classes at when you were older. But at twenty, it's like no, it's about you. You're learning, you're networking, and you're trying to grow it. So, um, right. what was the what would you say then was the, uh, what was that, what was that tipping point in terms of shows? Was there one show or a, a week or a time or an act that you did where it was like, okay, I've kind of crossed that bridge. Now it's like other doors are going to open up. How do I take this and go further? And then I want to get into the, uh, the Chelsea lately thing, but I remember doing a show at a bar on sunset Boulevard. There was, there used to be a very famous place called Dublin's. It was, uh, and it had become, it was a Tuesday night show at a place called Dublin's and it, be- it had become the place to be in Hollywood. I mean, I'm not to, so much so that literally there would be like, uh, you know, the A-list celebrities would be in the audience of a bar show. It's where Dane Cook became a star. Right. Dane Cook would go up there Tuesday and just blow the roof off the place. Uh, and that w- it was like the show to, to kill on the audience. It was packed. Uh, and if you were good, you just blew the roof off the place. And I went up, uh-oh, did I lose you? That's I lost all right. you. He's gone. Oh, oh there he is. Uh, anyway, I went up there and uh, and I had a crush, a crushing set. I don't, to, Honestly, to this day, I don't think I've crushed as hard since or before than I did that. And that's when really? I was like, oh, this is, I, like Dane went on after me and couldn't follow me. It was <laughs> it was one of those deals. That's pretty And I was, I was like, oh, this, I could, this will be, I'm, I'm getting good. I'm good. This is, this is good. And then of course I see guys now who are are like Mark Norman and and, and Nate and some guys I'm like, damn it, they're better than me. And it still pisses me off. You know, it still pisses me off seeing people who I I think are better than me. But I think in a club setting on a Friday, on a, on a decent Saturday or Friday night, I, I don't think there's anyone as, I I think I could, I put on a pretty good show. Pretty good. And I, but I, I do envy some people who are really good at writing jokes and being clean. I love I, some guys who are very clean. I envy, but uh, yeah, I was good at it. Not to be a dick, but I was just good at it. There's I nothing wrong that. with saying that. Yeah. You're not being a dick. No, I mean, I, I, I would argue that you're, you're downplaying it even more because yeah, you crushed it. And in terms of crushing it again, when you look at what you went on to do and the storied career you've built, I mean, kudos to you, my friend. It's not about what everybody else is doing. You know, you everybody plays their own game and you play it very, very well. I don't know. Do you ever see that show? Have you ever watched that show Billions on Showtime? No, and my brother loves it. I have, I've never well, watched it. Well, tell this, yeah. tell this to your brother. I think you are the Bobby Axelrod of comedy. All right, Bobby Axelrod. <laughs> I know. And that's a huge, that, that that's a huge compliment. Is that no, the that's, redhead? That's the redhead. Yeah. yeah. Red, the, the billionaire uh, with the hedge fund. You are the Damian, Bobby Axelrod. Yeah. yeah. 
You're the Bobby Axelrod of uh, comedy, I think. I'll, I'll take the way it. it sounds. You should. Yeah. You should. So yeah, I love it. The, the thing about Chris, you know, you were just talking about how you put on a pretty good show. You put on a damn good show, and I've opened for you, and I calculated, I've opened for you six times. And the last time you were yeah. in Rochester, um, you did a. You were here for four shows. It was around Christmas time, or actually five shows. And that Saturday light show was a light crowd. And instead of just going right into your normal set, what Chris did, George, was he just. It was like an improv, improvised show. He just went out in the crowd. He took pretzels off people's plates, brought them up on stage. It was pretzel on a hook, brought it up and would, uh, you know, talk to people. He, he was meandering around the room, sitting with people. And it, that's the best <laughs> thing about him is that it's not. It, yeah, you get his stand, his basic outline show that he has. But on some nights right. you get you get things like this that are just totally outrageous. And he had all of us, you know, Mark and Jake and myself. We were dying in the back of the room. It was it was just it was priceless. It was great. Yeah. Thank you, Todd. Well, that that's another thing that uh, some people will say that that is uh you know, like like a guy like the guys I mentioned, like Mark Norman and uh, and and Nate, guys that I really think are great. I, I often wonder how they, they would, because you know, if you're on the road for any length of time, yeah, there's just going to be some shows in a weekend of five shows. There's going to be some that just for whatever reason, you're in a city that is a, a bit of a heavier drinking city. That second show is going to be. People who don't necessarily know you, they just get, they got a free ticket or whatever. They don't care much. And I can handle because I came up in bar shows and I'm not saying those guys can't, but I often wonder how guys who, who work clean and, and work uh, like a little low energy, like a Nate handle like that. Right. Saturday night, light, uh, rowdy crowd. Um, I, I hate having to do it, but I can do it. It's great. And it disarms the crowd too. If they want to get even think yeah. of getting rowdy, you're out there mingling it was awesome george i wish we'll get him back you'll see what i'm talking about oh for sure and it's and it's a it's a testament to his emotional intelligence you adapt to the crowd in front of you you adapt to the situation and you pull from things that you've done before when you're in that situation to make it and and the thing is it's genuine and authentic so yeah uh, yeah i look i look forward to seeing that and 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 just your show in general yeah um yeah I'm, i'm looking forward to coming back yeah so writer and performer for eight years on Chelsea lately. One, let's talk a little bit how you landed it. And two, I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier, how you built, you helped build that show to success, like what it took to build that show to success. So let's talk about how you got there and then what it took to build it out. Uh, I got there because, you know, Chelsea, uh, Chelsea and I had been very good friends. We, we kind of started out, and she was much younger than me. She's five or seven years younger than me, but, um, she, I had met her in here in LA. I mean, literally she was right off the plane from New Jersey. She was 19 and she had open mic circuit. You know, we were doing, I think we, were, we met at a, they were doing a show at a Starbucks in uh down like La Cienega or something here in oh, LA. Wow. I met her there and we, beca- Joe Coy was on the show. Uh, myself, Joe Coy, uh, and we've all, we all became friends that night. And then it was one of those things where I don't know how it works in, in where you guys are, but you all, everybody got together. We're going to go to Wednesday, Wednesday night. We're going to go here. Thursday night. We're going to go there, that show, this show, that show. So I was with Chelsea every night uh, doing, you know, and then I saw her start to rise quickly. 
because she just had, I, I don't know what it was. She's just better at, um, at, uh, you know, you know Hollywood's a weird place and, and not just Hollywood, all show businesses, you know, being good is one thing, but being good at bullshitting, I guess for lack of a better term and, and glad handing and all that stuff you have to do, yep. which is, you know, almost bigger than being good, uh, talented. She was so good at that. I mean, she literally had every agent and manager and per like in the palm of her hand within 15 minutes. And I would see them start to come to the shows. You, we all of a sudden you'd start to see like guys from CAA sitting in like a shitty open mic. And she was, re she was relatively new, but she was ballsy. And, and next thing you know, they would in the bar at the improv interview, but the improv here on Melrose, there's a bar out front and everybody would kind of uh, hang yeah. out there to the shows. And every, every agent manager would be around her after it was over. Wow. And I could start seeing it happen. I'm like, oh, shit, this is she's right. She's moving up quick here. And then she got on a show called uh, Girls Behaving Badly, which yep. was, uh, was kind of a prank show, a hidden camera thing. And she was just the best one at you know, she was just good at it. And from that, a lot of others. And she always called me to be on these shows to either rather write on them or do something on these shows always from like, I'll say this about her. She's the one person who, who always true to her word out here. You get a million people saying, I'll help you out. I'll help you out. She yeah. always, and would call you the next day. And she'd be like, I'm going to to get to Chelsea Glaley. I was literally sitting at the bar in, in, um, in at the improv. And she's like, I'm doing a show on E called the Chelsea Handler show. This is another show. And she said, I want you to write for it. I'm like, oh, I don't know. At this time, I'm waiting tables. And I was like, ah, oh, but I got to, you know, I'm waiting tables. And she's like, just come write for this show. Yeah. And I thought she was bullshit because she was pretty big at this time. She was getting, I think the first book had come out uh, and she was pretty big. And I was just thought it was more bullshit. I was like, okay, fine. And literally the next day, the producer called me and said, oh, Chelsea Hallen just said, she wants you to come over and work on the show. And I was like, oh shit, like this is happening. I'd never written on a show before. I didn't know much about it. I had done some stuff on Family Guy with Mike Henry, but I didn't even, like, I was like just stand, sitting next to Mike while, and there was a brand new show where nobody knew anything. So I went in and and we did eight episodes. Greg Fitzsimmons was a writer wow. on, if you know Greg, he yep. was there. And, uh, and and we just uh, basically we ripped off the sketch like the Chappelle show more or less it was a yeah. sketch show <laughs> and uh, and we did sketches and then then it became they liked it and he said we got to make her a daily show every night and uh, and she said will you you know you know you'll be like the head guy on this show for me and I said yeah I don't know anything about any of this shit. I can barely spell. I don't know how to type, but uh, <laughs> I'll, you know, I'll get in a writer's room and, and we did it. And then uh, the round table back then was, you know, because E wanted like kind of pseudo celebrities. So the round table was three. It would be like, no shit. It would be like Ron Jeremy and Scott Bayo nice. and people like that, like C list or whatever you want to call yeah. them. And it just wasn't working. It was not. Chelsea had no chemistry with them. And one day, I forget who it was. I think it was Barry Williams. To go back to Brady Bunch, I think it was Barry Williams. Couldn't make it. He, yeah. he wasn't able to, to, for whatever reason, got stuck in traffic. And Chelsea said, "Go get Chris upstairs." We were riding upstairs. Go get Chris and Josh Wolf, the two of us. Mm -hmm. 
and Josh Wolf and and I came down and we sat on the round table and it just was a different show. Yeah. And the producer at the time uh, and the head of E said, well, that's the show from here on out. It's yeah. comedians who, you know, and literally the next day we like told Scott Baio not to come in and it was Lonnie. <laughs> oh, Love. that's awesome. I love <laughs> it. Was it. Like, it was basically like, next day it was like Lonnie Love and Joe Coy and me and, and, and whoever became like the regulars on that show. And it just took off from there. And people tuned in for that portion of the show. I remember when we started, it was six minutes. The round table was six minutes and then it became 10 minutes and it became 15 minutes. Then it became the point where we could see the ratings once the round table ended, even if we had Jennifer Aniston on as a guest, the rate people would tune right out. Mm. It just so it became the, the reason why people watched and likability uh, and relatability. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right there. Yeah. So that was it. But, you know, I, I often look at comedian friends of mine who are, you know, still struggling and stuff. And not that I'm, you know, there, there, it, there's ups and downs in this business. Sure. But I, I often say, thank, I tell her, I call her all the time and I tell her, I said, thank, if it were not for Chelsea Handler, I honestly don't know what the fuck I'd be doing. I really don't. I, it, I, I don't know if I would have made it otherwise. I don't know. I right. didn't know route in. I was good. And I was, I could have, you know, I could have done sh- shitty bar shows till for the rest of my life, but I wasn't going to make any money at it. I didn't know how to get into the road and touring. Right. And all well, because of her. I, I was able to do it all. It opened doors. That's awesome. And George, you yeah, know, I don't, did. George, you know, remember how like the Carson show or Letterman used to really blow up comedians? Like when comedians would come on the next day, they'd be household uh, yeah. names. For sure. and, and Chris and I talked about this before this, and he, he's, he's agree. He said it is that this was the last show that really made, blew up comics. I mean, there was TJ Miller was on it. Whitney Cummings, Joe Coy, yep. Josh Wolf, yep. Fortune Themester. Kevin, Kevin Hart. It was, it was Kevin Hart. That's right. Hart. Kevin Hart. We had Kevin Hart on all the time in the beginning. It was the first, it was the first time ever on TV. He'd never been on TV. TJ Miller, first time on TV. Yeah. Kevin Hart, first time on TV. Tiffany Haddish, first right. time on TV. Yeah. It really, yeah. it, it, it was a, it was a career maker for so many comics. I don't think there's been a show since. Yeah, the gateway shows. I call them the gateway shows. That's probably yeah. one of the last gateway shows that's been out. I don't know that there is one right now at all. Yeah, no, I, there, uh, I, no, I, no, I can't no, think of there, one. There's not. And I, I, I honestly don't know why there isn't. I, I, I there often was. say how it's cheap to produce. I mean, just from that angle, it's cheap to produce. You could and 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 it's a great way to kind of do, discuss the news and pop culture stuff. And with uh, with a funny angle, I don't know why more networks aren't doing it. It's shocking to me because they'd rather have the reality shows where people are singing in masks and dancing, and you wish there could be like they tried with Last Comic Standing, but I mean it worked to a degree. Yeah, but that that's that that's all well and good. That's fine for for some, but also like there's no roundtable show. I mean, you know, we did Lights Out with David Spade, which was just basically the same thing as Chelsea lately. Yeah. But for some reason, Comedy Central just was, they did not like it. And it, it was so strange to me because I'm like, we were, we were getting there. We were getting that vibe. People were liking it. And it, it, it was becoming like, almost like what Chelsea Lately was. Whether it was going to blow anybody up or not, it's just, TV is just a different landscape now with the numbers and it's just not there. Yeah. You know, we, for, I think we were the last, before the internet, Chelsea Lately we, you know, we were getting big numbers on a, on a for a late night show. Yeah, for sure. So that's just gone now. And so, by getting blown up by 
by a late night set or anything at this point is just gone. Yeah. I, now it's about whether it be podcast, Netflix or whatever. So I, I don't it, know if it's coming back. Like you could do a thousand Jimmy Fallon's and it just does not matter. Yeah. It's literally not about the time period anymore. It's literally, are you being watched? You look at like, listen, I'm, I'm a Marvel geek. You look at WandaVision. I mean, yeah. that just got released every, you right. know, every at Thursday at midnight or 3 a.m. East Coast time, it got released and it was the most watched show in the world. Yeah. So it wasn't about like this rating, that rating. It's like, no, this is the most watched show in the world, the most downloaded yeah. show in the world. Boom. You know, exactly. And and, and it's it, it has just changed so quick. And now this stuff, what we're doing right now is the new way. And I, I honestly don't think comedy and I'll, uh, and I'll, and I'll fault Todd Youngman for this. <laughs> I think they were, I think they were late to the game, uh, comedy clubs on, on how successful podcasts were and how successful the, the, the personalities are. You look at these guys who in the last year have created, I'm not, I'm talking they're beyond comedy clubs, Tim Dillon, Tim Dillon has never even yeah. been on TV no. outside of you know, a couple of lights out, but he has literally created a, a, now, I believe he'll be in theaters if he's not already uh, in, in six months, six months it's, it's happened. Yeah. He's, he's um, made a name for himself. I, I know, I know 15 guys like that. Yep. And it, so it's, it's just a wild. And I think going back to serious yep. uh, and, and stern, I think serious was late to the game on, yep. on podcasts. I think um, they should have taken some of these people and said, just put your podcast on, on, you know, outside of Howard, Howard, of course is Howard, yeah. but yeah. you got 500 other channels on there. What are you playing? Bluegrass music and shit. Exactly. Like, they could have owned it. They could have owned they, it. They I agree. It. They could have owned it and they let, and they just didn't pay attention. Agents, managers didn't pay attention. And now many, they're all trying to, they're all trying to pay catch up. They're everybody. Now every agency out here, CAA, they all have a podcast division. It's too late. You know, Joe Rogan's already moved to Austin for a hundred million dollars. You're too late. Yeah. Joe Rogan is popping. He'll he'll pop more comedians than anything right now. His Rogan, podcast. Rogan is Johnny Carson. Right yeah. Now. Right. You go on that wow. show. You're a name then. Yeah. yeah. Look at that's Tim Dillon. Uh, Tim Dillon from from three uh, Rogans had just went from went from you know barely selling out a, a Saturday night at a club to selling out six nights at a theater. See, impressive. Overnight. That's great. Yeah. So let, let's kind of segue then into the, in cover to cover. I mean, super successful it's podcast you have going on. I'd love yeah. to hear a little background and how you built it. You don't have to give away any of the, the secrets, but um, no. I think it's, it, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's a great show and it's getting, it, I mean, it's getting better and better eat probably each week. I mean, between the downloads, the reviews, everything else. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a hell I of a, a show. Little, I get a little lazy. I get a little lazy sometimes. I'm, uh, you Who know, doesn't? I can probably, Come on. yeah, I know you're right. It is, it is there. You're doing it every week. I'm doing two cause I have a Patreon as well. So I'm doing two and I could probably sit and read articles more and, and have actually, you know, topics to discuss, but, um, I, I don't. And sometimes it feels a little lazy at times, but I think some in some ways that's the appeal of it. Honestly, the, the success of it is 100% credited to Heather McDonald. Heather McDonald has a huge podcast, like other stratosphere yep. podcast called juicy scoop. And I was on that a lot with her. She'd have me on a lot. Um, and I built an audience from that. And I was honestly, like I was just saying about everyone else, I was late to the podcast game. 
I wasn't giving it. I was like, yeah, too many. There's too many people got them. But then a friend of mine told me, he goes, there's not too, he goes, do your parents listen to podcasts? And I was like, no, they don't. And he goes, see, there's still people out there who had, there's more people right. in the podcast world than that you comedians. We all know, it, but there's other people out there who just like, what's a podcast. Yeah. So you got to get what they're coming in now. Yeah. And so once I heard that, I was like, again, yeah, you're right. There are people yet. Oh, my brother, my brothers, they, they're out there in the world. They don't know what podcasts are. They don't know how to download them or what, yeah. you know, to them, but they do now. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so it's, it was, so I started it for that reason. I'm like, there are more people out there. And I took a lot of Heather's audience just came over to mine and I built it from that. People liked it. And you know, once you get to a 10,000 downloads, 10, 12,000 downloads, then you could start, it becomes a, it becomes a, a viable business. You know, you, you get ads and you get Patreons and next thing you know, you're making money at it, which yeah. is thank God because for a guy like an old guy like me in, in LA, which Hollywood, it's become a different town these days. I just, just, I'm out of business. There's no way for me to get back on television. Honestly, the reason they canceled really? and, Spade, and they flat out told me and Spade and everyone else, they're like, we don't want old white men on comedy central. Hmm. We just don't want them. And wow. that was the end of it. Wow. Uh, and not even white. They just don't want old men. They, yeah. they were like, I mean, I think it was, it was one of the best lights out episodes. It was, it was Dennis Miller. Oh yes. It was Spade, Dennis Miller, Norm Macdonald, and I think Kevin Nealon. And it was hilarious. Yep. But Comedy Central saw that episode and they're like, what the fuck are these four old men doing on our network at 11 o'clock? Like this, this is not who we are. So yeah. they, they were done with it. So the, the beauty so, of Chris, if your podcast, what I love about your podcast is, and, and it's, you know, same with Bill Burr, is it just you talking into a mic, interjecting with Alex every so often, you know, but you yeah. just going off for about an hour with your thoughts, reading yeah. from the Vermont Country yes. Store catalog, um, just yeah. talking about what's going on in the world. And it's, it's awesome. And here, George and I, we, we just did a little banter at the beginning and that was less than two minutes. I can't imagine going another, you know, 50 minutes or so of just random thoughts, but it's also good for you because it helps you probably with your material and, you know, working on stage, it, you know, it, and, and it also, it, it kind of scratched the stand up itch, you know, cause I wasn't, uh, I'll also say that I'm not one of those guys who has to do stand up every night. Mm -hmm. Like I have friends who like, they'll die if they're not out yeah, every night them. doing yeah. any place that'll have them. I'm like, I could, I could relax for a couple of weeks, mm -hmm. like, especially during this time. I was like, it's fine if I don't go up every night. But then once I started the podcast, I'm like, Oh, this is, I'm just doing stand up really. Uh, and it's even more free freeing to do this yeah. because I don't have to hit, hit a punchline every three minutes or two minutes or whatever. So yeah, it's, uh, it's been fun. I, uh, I'm happy that it, that it, that I've, that I've done it. Thank God. Because yeah. like I was saying, I just, uh, and I love the, this, this, this just new, it's funny. Like I was late to the podcast game. Now I'm like King of the, I'm, I'm, there's nobody who shouts about podcasts from the rooftops more than me at this point. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. Love it. Yeah. But I'm, I'm saying that it, it's just, it's just alternative ways to do things now. And for a guy who's never been, a Hollywood darling, like with agents or managers or anything like that, which always pissed me off. I'm like, why am I not getting like the only, the only person I ever got any love from was Chelsea Handler. Mm -hmm. Even when I was like a big shot on that show, I couldn't get agents and managers to even look at me. I'm like, 
I'm I'm on a a show that fucking everybody's watching at you know three times a week, yeah. and you guys still won't sign me. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah. And then I then they did finally sign me, and I'm not kidding. The day Chelsea Lilly ended, I was fired by everybody. F- gone, fired by everybody. Oh, wow. And I'm, well, what now? Like I do, I just don't know what to do. Yeah. You know the clubs weren't they, if if you don't sell tickets, as Todd will tell you, it's hard. I know that they they, they got to run a business too. And I understand that. So if I if I'm coming in and, and I'm not killing it selling tickets, I'd be like, eh, you know, do we want Frangiola or do we want a guy who sells five five sells out five shows? I yeah. get it. Like we, of course, you want the guy who sells out five shows. Of course, you want Trevor Wallace or whoever does you know the big time ticket sales. Yeah. So I was done. So the podcast has gotten me back a little bit to a certain extent. And uh, I'd say, and I th- Hey, the podcast has a lot of runway on it too. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm off offline. I'm happy to talk to you more about it. Cause I've had some thoughts about other things and other friends in our doing podcasts. You've got a lot of runway, my friend. Yeah, a lot does. of yeah. runway. Yeah. Thank you. For yeah, sure. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's, it's been great. And then, you know, now we're doing, you know, I signed with an agency to, to do ads and stuff. So, I mean, on, the bottom line is now I'm making money at it. Yeah. To the point where I'm like, oh, we're getting into some serious money here where it's like, this is a, this is an actual yeah. good gig. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I have friends. I can tell you, Heather McDonald, it makes, it makes, you know, I think a million and a half dollars a year doing a podcast, oh yeah. which is shocking to me. Uh, but I'm glad people are waking up to it because, you know, as you probably know, you used to tell people you had a podcast and I was like, oh boy. You know, <laughs> oh yeah. Another round upon. Yeah. But there's, I don't know if you read the articles, the great article in New York Times two weeks ago, whatever. And it was basically just saying how, how, how what a lucrative business it can be and yep. for, for some of the, you know, the bigger ones. And uh, so that was nice to see because at least it legitimized it in, in some people's eyes. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a confirmed art form and will con- and will be a, it's a small vector in the media world now, but it will continue to grow. There's a lot of runway there. Yeah. Um, yeah. As we, as we wrap up and wind things down a bit, I just, there's one thing I watched years re- more recently that I just, it was hilarious because I went through it too, except I went through it for six months. And that's obviously tips for quarantining with your elderly parents. Oh, um, yeah, all you have yeah, to do yeah. is just, yeah. guys, just Google Chris Trangiola. <laughs> it's one of the first things that comes up. It's hilarious to watch. It's about six, seven minutes long, but it's great. Um, and that's something was, I did. I, did, I think it was for the Drew Barrymore show. I did that yeah, for the Drew Barrymore yeah. show, which is. I mean, talk so about was it, was it a true two weeks that you're with them or was it longer or like, how did that go? Uh, it, it was, it wasn't two weeks straight. It was you know, different <laughs> back and forth. And honestly, a little bit of it was, was uh, my brother went and stayed for a long time. My brother, he's a hilarious guy and not stand up wise. He's not in show, but it couldn't be further from show business, but he's yeah. just like the funniest guy I know. And I, he would translate to me what was happening. So I took a lot of what he was telling right. me. Honestly, like the funny thing is, and like a, a large portion of my act is like stuff stolen from what my brother says to me on the phone. <laughs> like I'm yeah. like, oh, that's I, I need to steal that yeah. whole bit, that chunk from you. Um, but yeah, he was telling me a lot. I was there for two days here and there, uh, and and he was he would tell me this and that. So uh, I took a lot from that. Yeah. Oh yeah. And back in your old bedroom, it's like, I was back in my old bedroom. My mom made the walls pink. I mean, who knows? Maybe she was foreshadowing, but whatever. It's like, she knew a little, I don't know, but yeah, Yeah. (laughs) that's great though. It was, yeah, that was, that's like 
this is the world we're living in today. The Drew Barrymore show asked me to do like that bit first for the Drew Barrymore show. There no, you can't go into the studio anymore and sit with you know, in a, in a right. studio audience with Drew Barrymore. So they, no kidding, they send a suitcase to my front door. A guy comes and delivers a suitcase with a camera, a rig, a lighting system, a backdrop, in the, all in the suitcase. I have to set it all up myself in my bedroom back here. I, and I don't, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know anything about any of this stuff. I set it all up. I, they go live. They have a producer talking to me in my ear. Oh no! And that's the new world. That's how you tape a, a stand-up set now for a talk. A, a, this is a legitimate TV show on a network. Yeah, and I'm setting everything up myself. Yeah. Wow. Well, hopefully, well, hopefully by the end of the year we'll get back to uh, hopefully something better than just routine, but back to the way things kind of used we to will. be and, and be able will. to be in there. And like you said, being in front of the audiences and yeah. getting those actual live laughs, claps, you can look at people's faces. Um, there's just yeah. something about being able to read an audience that I think gives, um, that gives people like yourself and like Todd, a lot of energy, which mm -hmm. is really great. I um, agree. I, um, I'll say this. In go closing, ahead, I'll say this. If, if we could learn anything from what has happened in the last year, I feel a lot of us were taking just going out for granted. Hmm. You know, I know Netflix is great and Hulu's great and every TV is, you know, uh, got a better picture than it used to and the sound is better. But I think it, now that this is kind of seeing the light at the end of the tunnel a little bit, we need to go out. I'm not talking just comedy clubs. I'm talking restaurants and, you know, the gap, shit like that. Like, yep. it's not, we, in this last year, if we've learned one thing, it's get out of the house. Yeah. Because this, this shit sucks. It does. Yep. Amen to that. Get out. <laughs> it's Appreciate so true. Things. Yep. Yeah. Um, Chris, I just want to, um, and I know Todd will too. I just want to thank you for giving us your time. Yeah, you know, definitely. you got a lot going on and you got a hell of a podcast and, uh, we love it. Um, and just thanks for coming on. We hope to see you in Rochester really, really soon. Yeah. Thanks. Me Chris. Too. Thanks George. Yeah, nice to meet you. Very nice to meet you. Uh, we've been talking with writer, comedian, actor, and host of Cover to Cover with Chris Frangiola, the one and only Chris Frangiola. Thanks so much again for coming. Thanks, Chris. We'll talk to you soon. Now, you see, that's what I, I, I knew you'd love this one, too. Um, and the, the great thing about Chris, you know, even though he was, yeah. you know, on the Chelsea Lately show, you know, doing the Chelsea Lately show, he would leave there and go 10 bar. You know, and and he would he would uh, you know work shifts like he he didn't talk about it and we didn't get into it. But when Chris was waiting tables, which was common for yeah. actors and comics, he worked with Meghan Markle. They were good friends. I, you know, it, I know we got we got to save that for our next show. I know I, I didn't want to get talk into that, bit. but there was so much good stuff there. Oh, I know. I mean, he he's great. He's just like a wealth. You could just sit there and talk and talk. He's got great stories. He's lived it. He's done it thirty plus years. You know, he sh I, in my estimation, he should be more of a household name than he is. You know what I mean? A lot of people know who he is because of Chelsea and also the Juicy Scoop podcast. But I think more people should know. And if if people see him come to their town or if he's in Rochester. Go out and see him. You're going to die laughing. He's that good. Oh, for sure. He's that good. And and you know what I appreciate about him? His humility. But I think sometimes we can take humility a little too far. Like, I love how he said, like, oh, I went out and there were these people that were better than me, better than me. But 
it's like, oh my God, the runway that Chris still has is pretty incredible. So, and I think he knows that. And I hope I got that message across to him too. I wasn't trying to do any type of self-help, but you know, the guy is so talented. His podcast has so much runway and you know what, no matter who you are, whether, you know, you're me or you, Todd, it's like, there's always going to be somebody better, but as long as we do what we're doing, yeah as best as we can that's all that matters right. and i and i hope people remember that too yeah that's the important thing you know as long as you're happy absolutely that's what's all right absolutely we'll say goodbye george goodbye george